Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John 21. John chapter 21. So we come to the end of John's Gospel. Uh, We began working our way through this book uh, back in August 2021 uh, with breaks along the way. Um, But one of the things I, I mentioned this at the first service, one of the things I love about preaching consecutively through a book of the Bible um, is, is that it, it comes to us in ways that are far beyond what we could possibly imagine and meets us in various seasons of life that we could never plan. Um, I started preaching through this book right before Sarah was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and to know that Jesus is this kind of God, um, the God who, who shows himself to be gracious and compassionate who continues to pursue us, who's the light of the world and the bread of life and all the rest, and above all in his death, burial, and resurrection, um, shows himself to be great and glorious as resurrection and life for us. Uh, at least for me, it's been a great comfort. Uh, and hopefully you'll, you've found God's word meeting you uh, week by week in these different places. Uh, but, but this morning especially, um, because in many ways, though this chapter kind of functions as a kind of epilogue to the book, uh, it really does sum up the whole, uh, that, that Jesus is the one who continues to pursue us so that he might make us new, and in making us new, show the rest of the world what's going to happen one day, that the gardener uh, is making this world a, a garden afresh, a new heavens, a new earth, a world made new. That's our confidence this morning, but in order to see how Jesus the gardener transforms deniers into those who are restored, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come desiring for your Holy Spirit to to open our eyes of faith. Indeed, we we know that this book, the Holy Scriptures, is the, the inspired and infallible and inerrant word of God. And yet, Lord, this book is is an inert thing unless your Holy Spirit comes and and takes it and uses it in our hearts and lives. Indeed, illuminate, we pray, Holy Spirit, our eyes of faith, that we might see, that we might truly see um, the glorious riches contained for us in this place of your gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, 
for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what does it look like when the world begins again? What, what does it look like when, when everything becomes new? What does it look like when tomorrow comes? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, our, our hearts are moved over and again with, with the idea that, that we can start afresh, that we can, we can start over, that the world can begin again. It's why books and movies and plays that, that, that speak of, of starting over, of, of tomorrow's coming, they, they inevitably move us, like, like the ending, the epilogue of the stage play and movie Les Miserables. Uh, the, the grand finale, when, when the entire cast comes and they sing those, those final lines, even the darkest night will end. 
and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. We will walk behind the plowshare. We will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. It's the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. That's what we long for. We, we long for the garden of the Lord. We long for the darkness to be light. We long for tomorrow to come. What you have here in John 21 is a picture of just this. Tomorrow has come. Everything has become new. The world is starting over again. The gardener has emerged from the tomb in the garden. And he's begun to make all things new. Because the, the gospel is being declared. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. What does that look like? What does it look like now that Christ has emerged from the grave? Uh, a physical body, yes, and yet spirit-driven. A body continuous with ours, and yet clearly different. Mortality putting on immortality, imperishable putting on imperishable. What does it look like as the resurrected Jesus comes to make all things new? Well, it certainly looks like doubters becoming confessors. We, we saw that last time. As, as Thomas, the one who quite unfairly is identified as, as doubting Thomas, becomes Thomas the confessor. And are articulating that climactic confession on behalf of all the disciples, my Lord and my God, he shows this is what it looks like when tomorrow comes. But, for, but friends, this scene here in John 21, it also shows what the new creation looks like. Because what we see here are deniers being restored. And as we'll see, that, that means hope for Peter. And yet, more than Peter. Because this scene gives hope to you and me. Because let's be honest, who, who here hasn't failed under pressure? whether by keeping our mouths shut when we should have opened them with a word on behalf of Jesus or, or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and so inadvertently or advertently betraying our Lord. Uh, who hasn't taken the Lord's name in vain by how we've lived, by what we've done, but by what we've contemplated doing that violated the, God's way and God's word? Uh, who hasn't felt the deep and abiding and, and exhausting reality of our sin and sinfulness, of our failure and forgetfulness? Is there anyone here who doesn't need to be restored? Here's the good news. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrected King. Because Jesus Christ has not simply died, but has been raised and is fact coming again. We can have hope this morning. Hope that the, that the gardener desires for you and me to live in the garden of the Lord. Hope that darkness might shine, or excuse me, light might shine in the darkness. And that reward might come to those who follow him. And that, and that by making you and me new, by, by transforming us, by, by restoring us, that Jesus the gardener is showing the entire world, this is what it's going to look like one day. When the new heavens and the new earth, new earth comes. This is what it looks like in you. As you are made new. As, as Jesus Christ begins you again. After all, that's, that's why he was revealed. 
Revealed to these disciples in this scene, revealed as the resurrected king. Three times the word revealed is used in our passage this morning. Twice in verse 1 and then again in verse 14. And those uses, those three uses serve as a kind of of bookend. Verse 1 and verse 14 and everything in between is meant to show us this is what happens when Jesus reveals himself. That word reveal has the idea of pulling back the curtain, of, of somehow revealing that which was hidden before. And so here Jesus is pulling back the curtain, showing something that's not been seen before. Namely, this is what it looks like when the world's made new. It looks like the resurrected Jesus, the one who actually is able to start you over again, to give you that which you desperately long for, a new beginning, a new world. How does Jesus reveal himself in this passage? What are the things that happen between the bookends? Jesus reveals himself to the disciples in two ways, by way of miracle and by way of a meal. First, the miracle. Some, some time has elapsed between the, the two scenes that you have at the end of, of John 20 and this scene that we have here in John 21, Peter and his colleagues are back in Galilee. They are near the, the Sea of Galilee, what's called the, the Sea of Tiberias here in our text. And Peter's gone back fishing. The others have joined him. There's nothing in the passage that would suggest that this is a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what happens. And so Peter and his friends have been working all night out on the Sea of Galilee, throwing their nets dragging them along the bottom, bringing them back up, and they caught exactly nothing. But just as morning is breaking, at the, at the same time, just weeks before, that Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb, remember? Mary Magdalene had come in that twilight, right before the breaking, the dawning of the new day. So here... Just as the, as the day is breaking, having worked all night, Jesus is on the shore. Uh, he's a stranger to them, whether hidden by their sight or hidden by Jesus' purpose. But he calls out to them about a football field away, a hundred yards or so. And he says to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. Boy, did they ever. And as they're pulling in this amazing, miraculous catch of fish, what went through their minds? What what went through their minds as they're they're dragging this net full of, of fish, large, heavy fish, into their boats? Was it the words, apart from me, you can do nothing Was the words recorded in another gospel, seek and you will find? Was it the echo of a a similar catch of fish in Luke chapter 5, one that caused Peter to fall down before Jesus and say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. We're, We're not sure exactly what passes through their minds, exactly what dots connected for them, but almost immediately John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Three times that's said, it is the Lord, it was the Lord. Twice in verse 7, again in verse 12. It's a clear identification. 
a pulling back of the curtain by way of this miracle that this person on the seashore is no stranger. This is Jesus, the resurrected king, the gardener of the new creation. But, but Jesus, he doesn't simply reveal himself by way of miracle. In our passage, he actually reveals himself also by way of a meal. The boat lands on the seashore. And what do the disciples see? They see a, a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire, like the charcoal fire that had been in Caiaphas's courtyard. And they see more than that. They see fish on the fire. They see bread. They hear Jesus say, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Later they'll count them. 153, an amazing exact number. And they bring some of the fish, a gift returned to the giver. Jesus invites them, come, have breakfast, and yet they, they still hang back. Why? Are they embarrassed? Are they uncertain? Are they doubting? And so something amazing happens. The Lord of glory, the resurrected king, the gardener of the new creation, he once again becomes the servant. In John chapter 13, at the beginning of the scenes of the upper room, you remember, Jesus lays aside his outer garments. He puts on the servant's towel. He begins to wash their feet. The, the Lord of glory condescending to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. And here is the resurrected king coming to serve them again. And the way he does so recalls for them the the paradigmatic miracle of Jesus's ministry, one of the few that's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. The echoes from John chapter 6 come forward in verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And he reveals himself in the meal. They they say here in verse 12, nobody asks because they know it was the Lord. Just like with Cleopas and his wife as they're making their way, rushing back from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, having walked with Jesus unaware. What is their testimony? How did they know that this was Jesus? They knew him, Luke tells us, in the breaking of the bread. And so it was here. Jesus pulls back the curtain, reveals himself, shows himself to be the resurrected king, the true Lord of the world, the gardener who brings about a new creation through a miracle and a meal. The disciples knew it was the Lord, but why? Why does Jesus do this? What's his purpose? Well, his purpose isn't, isn't merely revelation. No, he, he has a gospel work in mind. Jesus reveals himself to these disciples so that he might restore. So that he might restore. Apparently, after the meal, Jesus and Peter begin to walk along the Sea of Galilee, along the seashore there. We, we know that they are walking because at the end of the scene, in verse 20, Peter looks back and he sees John following them. And so they are clearly walking. And as they walk... Jesus asks Peter questions about love, and more specifically, about Peter's love for Jesus. 
You remember that three times there in Caiaphas' courtyard, Peter had denied Jesus, denied even knowing him. Aren't you one of his disciples? I don't even know him. I don't know him. I do not know him. And for each of those times of denial, each of those times of failure and sin, Jesus will ask Peter, do you love me? Actually, the first time is a little different. Do you love me more than these? Jesus had asked. You see, in in Matthew and Mark's telling of Peter's boasts that he would die for Jesus, they both record it this way. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. They don't love you as much as I do, Jesus. Though they all fall away, I will not fall away. And so, so Jesus invites the comparison again. Do you love me, Peter? Really? More than these? Peter humbled, perhaps a little embarrassed and ashamed. He simply replies, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus returns with the command, feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, keep my commandments. And my command to you is this, take care of my sheep, take care of my people, feed them the truth, shepherd them. The second time, it's the same thing. A question about Peter's love and a command to care for for Jesus' followers. But the third time, it's the third time that, that cuts Peter to the quick. So much so that Peter will say, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's an arresting phrase, isn't it? Lord, you know everything. Because actually, that's, that's true. John's already told us it's true. In John chapter 2, he had written, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. And so that's exactly right. Jesus, you know everything. And he did. He knew about Peter's betrayal, his denials in Caiaphas' courtyard. He knew about his, his folly in the garden. He knew that he hadn't said anything from from that time to this. He knew all about Peter, all of the dark places, all of the, the crooked pathways. He knew everything. But listen, he knows everything about you too. He knows it all. Jesus knows your entire life story. All of it, every part. He knows all of your failures. All of the times under pressure you denied him. All of the times in boasting you, you did the foolish thing, said the foolish thing. He knows all of those persistent sin patterns, sin difficulties, the pet, beloved, besetting sins that continue to trip you up over and over again. He knows your frustrations of the moment, the anxieties that you have, the fears that you know. He knows your denials. He knows your deplorable things. Jesus knows everything. And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. You see, the wonder of this passage isn't that Peter loves Jesus. The the wonder of this entire scene is is that Jesus still loves Peter and would go to such lengths to restore him. 
to recreate this entire moment of critical failure, the charcoal fire, the threefold questioning, the misplaced bows, so that Peter would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was loved by the God who raised Jesus from the dead and loved by Jesus, the gardener of the new creation. Friends, this is what it looks like when the world begins again. This is what it looks like when tomorrow comes. This is what it looks like when when everything becomes new. It looks like a love that will not let you go. A love that will pursue you to all those dark places that you you wish you would just be left alone. and, And love will not do that. He continues to pursue you. That's why he came from heaven's glory to earth. That's why he came out of perfect submission and perfect delight all the way to the cross that you deserve. That's why he went from the cross to the grave. That's why he comes out the the other side of the grave so that he might continue to show you these are the links I will go. This is how far I will go to show you how much I love you. I know everything. I know everything. And yet I love you. Because this is the love that says if anyone's in Christ... New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, don't you want to begin again? Don't you want to start fresh to start anew? Don't you want to actually become new? How does that happen? Open your heart to Jesus. Stop running. Stop chasing all of these these lesser loves that will never, ever do it for you. You know that. And open your heart to the love of Jesus and listen to his reminder. Because Jesus first loved you. He first loved you. That's why we can respond that we love him. But because he first loves us and goes to such lengths to love us, when we respond with love, what does he say to us? Follow me. That's the reminder. Twice he says it. At the end of this interview with Peter, having told him three times, take care of my people, he finishes off with, follow me, follow me. And then Peter, in Peter fashion, begins to look around, and he sees John following him, and he asks Jesus a question, what about this guy? Jesus kind of answers his question and says, don't worry about all that, you follow me. But friends, that's the reminder we need. Because this is what it looks like when the world begins again, when the new creation comes. It's just this. It looks like men and women and boys and girls following Jesus, following him into the world, yes, the world into which he sends us to to, to tell others that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ is coming again. It it looks like following Jesus into the world to meet the world's deepest need with with Jesus' own love. Because as those who are restored, we participate in the restoration of all things. We're actually the the first taste that many people will have of, oh, this is what truth and goodness and beauty and justice look like. It looks like knowing that our dark nights have come to an end, that the daylight has come, that we've come to the garden of the Lord, that our slavery is ended, freedom is ours, we shall receive our reward. And above all, it looks like knowing That you and I, listen, you and I, we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. You need to hear that this morning. You are more than the worst thing you have ever done. You're more than that. Because Jesus loves you. 
He would go to these kind of lengths to take someone who's done the worst thing they can possibly imagine and in doing so deny Jesus. He would go to such lengths to restore them. That's what he's done for you. That's what it looks like. It's what it looks like when the world becomes new. It's what it looks like when tomorrow comes. It looks like Jesus taking deniers and restoring them. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, you are surely a friend for sinners. That you would go to such lengths to show us your always and forever abiding, one-way kind of love. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would, you would draw us to yourself. That in response to the love of Jesus and the question that comes to us, do you love him? That we would say, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm tired of chasing other things. Lord, here I am. I love you. Lord, grant us this grace so that we might say, Jesus, I do now receive you. For the first time or the thousandth time, saying again, I love you, Lord. Lord, grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name.